Well, good morning, Calvary Rathdrum. I'm back. <laughs> Corey and Luann are taking a much-deserved vacation and sabbatical, so uh, please lift them up in your prayers that they would have a good time of uh, restoration. And Pastor Eric was supposed to be teaching this morning, but unfortunately, he's ill, so here I am much to your detriment, but uh, please uh, lift uh, Pastor Eric up as well. And a lot of the staff has been coming down with this summer bug as well, and we all know those are the most miserable, so please be lifting them up. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Gary Ball. I'm uh, a member of your uh, elder team here at uh, Calvary Rathdrum, and uh, I got asked on short notice to step in. Now, I know that uh, from the... Uh, the little presentation we gave you on India that you may or may not notice, we only returned this Wednesday evening kind of late. So I'm still a little bit out of sync. My first couple of days back I was okay, but then the last two mornings I've been waking up about 2.33 in the morning. So I'm still a little bit jet lagged. So forgive me if uh, I kind of misspeak a little bit. I'd appreciate prayers. And um, the other thing is, is that I didn't know I was going to be teaching today until about 8.30 yesterday morning when Corey texted me and said, hey, Eric's sick, can you fill in? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we finished breakfast and went grocery shopping and I ran home and worked on a sermon, thought I was all set, and then I came for the memorial and and as I was here, I just, the Lord just said, no, Gary, that's, that's not what I want you to teach on. I'm like, okay. So after the memorial, I ran home and, and came up with a whole nother message. So um, that's where we are this morning. The wonderful thing is, you know what? It's not up to me. It's all up to God his spirit and his power and might. So hopefully uh, what we talk, study this morning will be a blessing to you. Um, speaking of blessings, it was really uh, a blessing for me to have Scott come with me to visit India. I've been many times, but as Scott shared, this was his first time, and I really enjoyed the missions updates that he posted on band. I hope all of you were following along, but it was just a really neat reminder of me as he's writing things, as he's experiencing the sensory overload that is India. He was just putting to paper, well, it's not paper, but he was putting to device um, his thoughts and impressions, and it just just reminded me of my own thoughts and impressions the first time I visited India. And uh, something else struck me, though, as I'm looking at band in the evenings, and I'm seeing not only people praising God for what's happening there in India, but there was also this constant stream, and it's never really any different, but it just really struck me. People praying, asking for prayers, for healing, for comfort, for salvation for others, or for loss of a loved one. You know, unfortunately in this fallen world, there's just far too much evil that afflicts people, and unfortunately God's children are included in that. So the reality of this is really driven home in India, where life in the rural areas especially is very hard. Even though there's a lot of beauty of India, it's, it's, there's this stark contrast. You have beauty 
God's creation, beautiful flowers and trees, even funny animals, you know, monkeys and water buffalo and all these things. And yet that beauty is scarred by human sin. So the streets are covered in trash and animal dung. Um, as Scott shared, many people are living a subsistence existence. They're living in homes that, frankly, most Americans would never dream of living in or agree to living into them, you know? But they're there anyway. Add on top of that, especially while we were there, the weather can be quite extreme. And it just adds to the difficulties that people are facing. If I had to describe a day, it felt grueling just from the heat and humidity. And yet wherever we went, when we met a Christian person, if we went to a Christian home or visited another church in the uh, villages, there was this calmness and a peace in the midst of the surrounding chaos. There was cleanliness and order in stark contrast to the trash outside. Even if the home was makeshift, like the ones he showed you, they were still clean and neat inside. Even though many of them were experiencing health issues, some of them hunger, all of them financial hardships, whatever it was, what struck me is that you could just sense an incredible faith, trust, and joy and it stood out in stark contrast to their living conditions. It's a faith, trust, and joy that I've seen every time that I've gone there, and it's one that I've come to admire deeply. So how is it? How is it that amid all the squalor and the hardship there, and oh, by the way, did I mention the persecution? the very real persecution that Christians are facing in India, how is it that they often display a joy that outshines my own? I think the answer to that question is that it's a matter of choice. The choice that they have made is to hang on to the promises that Jesus Christ has made them and to follow after him in faith and to pursue, obey his commands. And the last evening that uh, Jesus was with his disciples here on earth, he gave us a set of instructions, and we're going to look at them today. I believe the people of India has embrace, have embraced these verses. So this morning, we're going to look at eight verses in the Gospel of John. Fortunately, I was talking with my beautiful wife this morning about what I was teaching, and I told her what we were teaching, I was teaching, and she said, Oh, eight verses. And I said, well, I wrote nine, but let me see. Oh, oh, it couldn't count yesterday. So yes, eight verses in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to be reading uh, starting in verse 9. So John 15, 9. And as Corey always has us, would, we, would you please join me, stand out of respect for God's word as we read, read God's word. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than this. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, it's our, our, our earnest plea this morning, Lord, that you would help us to live out your word, Lord, that we would just show our love for you through our obedience to you and your word. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I mentioned earlier that I thought the people in India have made a choice to take Jesus at his word and to obey his instructions. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, depending on your perspective, God has given us, because we are created in his image, this thing we call free will. We can freely choose to do good or evil. We can choose either to hear the gospel and to believe that the gospel is true and that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, or we can freely choose to reject him. But our free will continues on even after we've accepted Jesus as Christ. We may choose to believe uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, but our choices don't end there. After we're saved, what we free, choose to do with our free will shows how we love or follow Jesus. We can either choose to follow his commands, to obey what he tells us to do and bring him glory, or we can choose to do other things with our life and bring shame on his good name. Hopefully none of us choose to do that. So let's break down the passage this morning. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Now that's an easy verse to just read over and go, yeah, okay, whatever, but think about it. That is an amazing statement if you really think about it. He says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. How did the Father love Jesus? I don't think we can even begin to scratch the surface of that statement. I don't think we can scratch and uh, even come to a shallow understanding of it because God, from before time, for, actually, I'm sorry, out of all eternity, has existed in perfect love and harmony. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all exist in this perfect relationship of love. There's nothing to mar it. There's nothing to scar it. It's not like you and I. We may love each other a lot, but there's things that are in our relationships as fallen people that mar that love. But there's none of that. There's no anger, no pettiness, no envy, no strife. I, ca I can't even imagine a relationship like that. That's so beautiful. And that's what Jesus is telling us. He said, as the Father has loved him, so has he loved us in that same way. A beautiful, perfect love. It's amazing. Now, because of our sin, because we're fallen people, we don't always receive that love the way it's given. We don't understand how deep that love is. But, but God loves us that way any, in spite of ourselves. He loves us with a selfless, sacrificial love, a love deeper than any of us could ever experience, I believe. 
I think that's what Jesus is really trying to tell us. Jesus was saying this to you. I've always loved you. Each one of you out there. He's always loved you. He says, I chose to create you. I chose to love you. And once I created you, I chose to create everything here in the heavens and the earth so that you may survive and prosper and come to know my love. Isn't that amazing? Each one of you, you're special to him. So then he gives us a choice. There's that free will thing again. He says, as I've loved you, remain in my love. Remain. Some translations say abide. I like that word. Dwell is in other translations. It carries this notion of like an infant just clinging to its mother as it's hungry. Just clinging. Jesus tells us, cling to me. What it really means is that once we've repented, once we're forgiven of our sins, we can't just say, okay, great, that's it. No, we need to continually go to him, the source, to cling to him. We have to choose to believe that he really is the way, the truth, and life. And in him and through him and by him lies a life that's far deeper and more meaningful and enriching and fulfilling than anything this world could ever give us. Jesus is always there loving us. It's up to us to focus on him to receive that love. He makes it clear in this next verse. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Again, there's that whole free will thing again. It says we can't just stand up and say, okay, that's it. Now it's an ongoing process. We have to continually pour into him and he into us. We have to choose to remain into him so that we can have our love pour out of us through obedience. We choose to keep his commands. I know I love how authentic the Bible is because Jesus knows what we're like. He knows we're rebellious. We struggle with sin. He knows we all want to be the captains of our own ships or maybe the captain of our own airplane, whatever your background is. We want to be the author of our own lives. Here in North Idaho, the men like to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. I'm independent. I, I do everything on my own. But that's not the Christian life, is it? No. Jesus tells us, you need to rely on me. Follow my commandments. Abide in my love. And he gives us an example. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? He said, just as I have kept my Father's commands, therefore I remain in his love. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you need to imitate his example. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We need to follow after Jesus. And here's the example Jesus gives us. It's of submitting his will to the Father. He chose to fully obey the Father. Now, if Jesus Christ, who's God, can submit himself to another part of the Godhead, it seems to me that maybe you and I, maybe we ought to be able to do the same thing and submit to God. I don't know. He goes on to say, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So what he's saying here is the mark, the proof that you are really a disciple of Jesus Christ 
is that you love others as Jesus has loved you. It's a simple command, isn't it? Love others? Is it? I find at times it's not one that's that easy to obey, is it? I mean, what does it mean to love others? Is it some sort of emotion? Is it like cuddling with a fuzzy teddy bear or a wonderful puppy or a kitty cat? I won't tell you what I think of cats. But anyway, um, is, it, is it this warm, fuzzy feeling towards others? Because if it is, well, guess what? I fail at it all the time. I love my wife dearly, but there are times where, you know, we get into disagreements and I really don't like her much. <laughs> And I know that goes twice for her towards me because I'm not easy to get along with. But so what does that mean then? How do we, how do we love our husbands, our wives, our children? Children, you, you're kind of trying at times. My forehead is much flatter than when I was young. Okay. How do we love others as Jesus commanded us? Not to mention just our family, but our neighbors. Our friends in the community? In verse 13, Jesus told his disciples how he would in a short while demonstrate his love for them and for us. He laid down his life for us. Hopefully none of us will have to do that for, uh, for one another. But what he is telling us is to put aside your own desires. Set aside your pride your selfishness, and love others as he loved us. It's easy to say, what would that look like? What would that look like? Well, fortunately, we have God's word, don't we? And I believe, and you know these verses in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us a good example of what this love would look like, this sacrificial love. What's he say? 13.4, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. Boy, I fail at that one all the time. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The big takeaway from what Paul is telling us about love is that the love we're to exercise isn't a feeling or an emotion. It's a love that's volitional. What do I mean by that? It's an act. It's a conscious decision to love someone. It's much more than a feeling. It's a, it's a discipline, even, that we have to love others even when we don't feel like loving them, even when we know that that love might not be returned. Jesus gave us a great example of this, didn't he? In this last dinner that these words come from, what did he do? He took on the role of a slave. He stripped down, took a bowl of water, and washed the filthy feet of the disciples. By the way, he was washing our filthy feet at that moment, too. It's amazing. God loved us so much that he loved us when we were unlivable. That's the kind of love he's calling us to love others with. 
The love that Jesus showered on his disciples and on us is the firm foundation upon which our Christian faith has to be built. In Galatians 5, Paul states that the fruit of the Spirit are, you know them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But what did it all start with? It begins with love. That's the foundation. And of course, here's the thing. Some of you aren't going to like this. In order for us to love others, well, that implies we have to be living in relationship with others. Now, some of you might be like me. I'm an introvert. I'm happy to be alone all day. But that's not what God calls us to do. We're to live in relationship with one another. That's why he calls us to gather together as a church, so that we can learn to live and love one another in spite of all our pettiness, in spite of all the friction that happens, in spite of all the things that go wrong, we can just learn to love others as Christ has loved us. We have to build this community. It's a training ground. Why? So that we can follow through with his commandments. So. What, is, what, what does Jesus say next? He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So we're friend if you do what I command. Is that a conditional statement or an unconditional statement? It's a conditional statement, right? It's an if-then statement. We could restate it this way. If you do what I command you, then you are my friend. Or we can say maybe, if you follow and obey me, you prove that you love me. Or how about this way? Or if you love me, it will be shown through your desire to do the things I command you to do. Do you love Jesus? Are you showing that you love him through your obedience to his commands? I found that a lot of times God may call you to do something's well outside of what you want to do, like go to India <laughs> or, or preach with like less than 24 hours notice, okay? But he'll equip you for these things. You might be hesitant to do what he's put on your heart to do. But what I've learned is that if you trust in him, if you rely on him, if you abide in him, as he says, and that we are obedient to him and do what he calls us to do, guess what? Our faith is increased. We get drawn closer by the, the, through the bonds of the Holy Spirit to God. We get to have a better relationship with him simply because we're obeying and we're setting aside what we want for the things he calls us to do. Jesus always blesses us when we obey him and that we prove that we love him. Verse 15, I don't call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard of my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now there's a lot going on in these verses and we could stir up hours of pointless controversy if you want to debate a few of the words, but there's important takeaways that I want you to get out of this. I want you to see the big picture here. First, he's telling his disciples, and that's you if you're a disciple of Christ, that you're no longer a slave, but free. You're no longer a slave to the sins of this world. You're not in bondage to Satan, but you're a friend of God. Now, I really find it amazing if you think about it. The God of all creation is calling you his friend. He loves you and he's calling you his friend. 
And then he tells us that because of this, because we're his friend, he's revealed to us the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? He said that we should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. So again, another conditional statement there. He's saying that if you call yourself a Christian, if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, then you will go out in the world and tell the world about this. You will produce fruit. Now, I want to caution you. Is Jesus saying that our, our faith is predicated on works? No. All right? But he's saying that if we are obedient to him, then we will want to go out and do good works that bring him glory. We desire to obey his commands. And from that obedience, it's a wonderful thing here. We will produce fruit, and not just that, fruit that remains. And what is that fruit he's speaking of? Is he talking about big, juicy watermelons? No. He's talking about saved souls. Saved souls. How marvelous is that? Through our obedience, through displaying the love of Christ in our lives to a, de a dead and dying world, we get to open the hearts of others. It's, it's really jet lagged. Um, I love it when a word goes away from me. But it's just beguiling. It's becoming when a person goes out into a world and you just unconditionally love someone that doesn't deserve it. It opens their heart and it opens their heart to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then once we, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your hearts, I know you all understand what happens there, and it's amazing, isn't it? So we get to be a participant in that, product, that process through our obedience. He calls us to go out and produce fruit. We just love on others. We tell us how great, how Jesus is. The Holy Spirit comes, in, comes into their hearts, and they're saved. The fruit that endures. You've earned a brother or a sister for all eternity simply by being obedient to the prompting of Christ. It's amazing. So that Jesus says that if you're doing this, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give you. So of course that means we're all going to have mansions and big cars and airplanes, right? No. Because if your heart is aligned with him, then what you're going to be asking for, once you see one person saved, you're going to say, Lord, Lord, what about that person and that person? And you could be part of this process of this great infilling of the church and getting brothers and sisters of your neighbors, your friends, most of all your family members. God will bless that when we go out and do that. Ask for a bountiful harvest and he will bless it. So I want you to notice something else that was hidden in there. This is what people can debate about. I don't care. Here's my simple man interpretation of this. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. Think about that. I want you to realize this. I want you to realize how special each and every one of you are to God. He said, I chose you. I appointed you. From before all eternity, before all creation, Jesus Christ has known that each and every one of you would be sitting in here today being a child of God. Think about that. That's amazing. He knows every one of us individually. You're special. You've been appointed. 
You've been appointed to produce fruit and fruit that lasts. How do we do this? He tells us in verse 17. It's simple. This is what I command you. Love one another. Love one another. Go out and treat others as Jesus treated his disciples on that night. Now how we're going to do this is going to look different from every one of us. God has given each of you uniquely giftings and abilities that are different from other people. So we can't just say, okay, follow this formula and you're going to do this. No, let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you because you're a unique creation of Jesus. You're special. You're chosen. Uniquely gifted. I think Paul gives us a picture of how this can look, though, as we try to do this. Now, he's speaking specifically to the church in Colossae. There had been a division by false teachers. So I realize that it's, it's speaking to a different type of thing. But listen to what he says in this division that had come in. He said, therefore, God's chosen ones, there's that word again, holy and loved. Some translations say, your beloved Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept one another and forgive one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message of the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it starts in this house. This is why he puts us here so that we can love one another and it's not awkward and we can learn as we have these frictions and, and, and disagreements to forgive one another so that we can have the life, love of Christ as we go out into the world and we can go out again in the world with confidence knowing our God's with us. You know, people tend to be suspicious of strangers that come to them offering love and fellowship, asking nothing in return but it's what he calls us to do, to go out and shine his light in darkness. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a verse I had left out in the verses we covered. And I left that out deliberately, one, because I wanted to bring emphasis to it, but also because there are times when, because I'm not obedient to Christ, I don't get to experience the promise in this verse. You know, sometimes in my flesh, I get lazy and selfish. Say, I don't want to go to church today. I don't want to go to home group. I don't want to X, X, X. And when that happens, then I rob myself of, of, of a fantastic promise. And what is that promise? It's in verse 11. He says, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be, be uh, sorry, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let me repeat that. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Having free will means that we get to make choices. 
in the worldly people, the outside of the church, they think that if they choose to, to follow Jesus, that they're going to give up all those choices they have, that they just have, that they'll lose all their freedoms. In a way, they're correct. But I also tell people that I've never been so free as when I became a bondservant of Christ. Most people want to pursue happiness. They want the freedom to pursue their dreams because they think it'll lead to fulfillment, happiness, and joy. But it doesn't. And if you ask most people, well, what is happiness? What is joy? What kind of answers will you get? I don't know, successful career? A big house? Diamond ring? Guys, a new 4x4 truck? Those are all nice things. But do they bring lasting joy? No. In reality, when you pursue those things of the world, all you're doing is pursuing selfishness and self-gratification. But if we choose to trust Jesus, to rely on him, to abide in him, then we find true freedom. And when we exercise our free will to obey him, then the most amazing thing happens. We discover what he promised here. We get true joy. Through the, his spirit, he infuses that true joy into our lives. His joy will be in us, and then our joy will be in the Greek, plaru, rendered perfect, complete. It's our tendency to hold back a little bit, isn't it? Just to keep a little bit of our free will for ourselves. We think we might be missing out. But in Christ Jesus, in proving our love to him by surrendering our free will, in obeying, obeying his commandments, in doing those things, that's where you find true joy and meaning in this life. I believe that's why. And when we went over the list of the fruit of the Spirit, what's it start with? Love, and then what? Joy. Those things go together. So what's the takeaway from this passage? I want you to be really encouraged by them because there's a lot of darkness in the world. Tragedy strikes every day. It's just hard. So remember this. First, please, please remember that Jesus has loved you as the Father loved him. You are loved perfectly by the creator of the heavens and the earth. Second, by keeping Jesus' commands through our obedience, we prove our love for him. Third, as a result of that obedience, we have the honor and the privilege of producing a fruit that remains. We get to share in the joy of seeing souls saved out of the darkness. And then we get to live together in harmony in the love of the Spirit. It's wonderful. And then finally, when we use our free will to surrender to Jesus, to trust and to love him, he blesses us with true joy, his joy. And I think really now more than ever, we need to have the joy of Christ in our life. Amen? You want this joy? Then use your free will to follow and obey him. Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you, in your joy may be complete. Lord, we just, we thank you for such an amazing, amazing promise. For the fact that you loved us from before creation and you continue to love us even when we fail to do the things that please you, Lord, you still love us. 
you're cheering us on. You send your spirit to encourage us, to motivate us, Lord. And then when we finally do obey you and, and we're obedient to your followings, Lord, then you bless us with a joy that's inexpressible, a fulfillment in a meaningful life, Lord. And we get to see brothers and sisters. We get to see souls saved. That's just amazing. So, Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to hold on to your promises. Help us to be good kids for you. Help us to go out into a world that needs you and your word and your love so desperately. Help us to be your hands and feet. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said,